0: Welcome to the Modern Principal Podcast. We're your hosts, Christy and Karen. In this empowering podcast, we delve into essential aspects of becoming a successful school principal, including effective educational leadership, organizational structures, and most importantly, the empathy and authenticity to transform your school.
1: And because Christy is obsessed with alliteration, we call these principles the Scholar Systems and Soul Approach. So if you're a passionate school principal or aspire to become one, join us on this job
0: where we journey off topic and right back on. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, John and Kyle. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for being here today. Hey, yes.
2: We're having We're excited, we're excited too. <laughs>
0: We've got math gurus with us today, and they're going Ooh. to help us as administrators to really think about our math programming and the components that we have in our math programs to make sure that they are as successful and effective for our students as possible. Yes.
1: Oh, awesome. And we're also international because you guys are in Canada. <laughs> Is that international? <laughs> yes. We are. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. That's yes, international. Oh, my gosh. I just told them I finished my doctorate, and I didn't know if <laughs> so right over here. it's not well, overseas.
3: Maybe, maybe it's not a doctorate in geography or in you know clock. that you know that <laughs> yeah. that's all right but one thing that you might uh find shocking is that actually if i look like out the window right over here i can actually see michigan from my house which is kind
2: of oh. cool so and I'm and right here's there. here's something I else geography wise it's it's more north than we are
0: Oh, Michigan. yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yes.
2: Michigan is more north than we are, yeah, because we're, Love like, it. underneath. That is, yeah, that we're is underneath.
0: probably not something the average American try, would mm-hmm. know. I try to learn a new geography <laughs> fact today. Today is done. The <laughs> there
3: <laughs> it is. How many people are going to Google Maps right now and they're like, right, let me like, look at you're this you're Michigan
1: is that near high. Detroit? So we, we do love having you guys on, not only because um, we are passionate about quality instruction and principals being instructional leaders, but also we love duos and you guys are an awesome <laughs> duo. So just we know we'll talk a little bit more about um, make math moments and some of the other things that you guys do. But tell us a little bit about your origin story. How did you come Ooh. together? Your origin.
2: How did we, John? Meet? Start a song. How off. did we meet? Start a song here. Yeah, yeah. How, how are we? Romantic. How did we? be
1: romantic. A meet yeah,
2: you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I think I think we 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 really met. I guess the I, the first way we can describe it is we met through like what we call math Twitter. You know, like we nope. uh, Twitter being a big part of our professional learning community when yes. we kind of started to make some changes in our classroom over ten years ago and. And, uh, you know, Kyle, Kyle and I were kind of on the same path, and, and we did not know that we were close in, in proximity, you know, geography-wise geography to each other. We lived pretty close to each other, but we didn't know that at the time. I was sharing what I was doing on a regular basis uh, through Twitter, through my website, um, on, in my classroom, and, and that being a focus of, of changing my math instruction to be more heavily based off off engagement but with as a vehicle of of helping my students understand math at a deeper level mm-hmm. and and you know through sharing and then and then that interaction kyle was doing the same mm-hmm. thing so i'm following him he's following me um we start kind of communicating back and forth uh, that way and then we both being teachers here in ontario teaching the same grade level uh we started to kind of collaborate from there we said you know what why don't we why don't we share what you're doing because you're doing similar things in the classroom i'm doing similar things in the classroom around engagement why don't why don't we you know we created some some google docs to kind of share our lesson plans back and forth and say hey we started collaborating that way and then and then kyle i think what we started doing presentations together from there and and, uh it took hey i
3: i gotta i gotta tell you john like do you remember and this just hit me Uh when you were Uh talking you we Uh were going down memory lane here and there was a moment in time before we really knew each other but we kind of knew each other on twitter and Mm -hmm. i did a workshop in your district for apple Oh. and you yes, were in the workshop right. and we sort of like midway through the day we're like oh like you're that guy oh. and he was like you're yeah. that guy and that's right
2: that's I, right I, remember. I I
3: think that's the first time i remembered that in in quite some I time i think we we both had
2: more hair then yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bad. that
0: it's happens happened. over a decade you know karen and i we met in person but i was very into you know Twitter and Ed camps mm-hmm. and I yes, would drag her camps. along to uh-uh. everything and she was not into it and uh-uh. I would just drag her <laughs>
2: That's awesome. You guys are like
1: the definition ed- of a PLN. Is that what yes. they call them? Yeah. 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 I was like, that's, I don't get it. I don't know how to get right. it.
2: That's yeah. right. <laughs> EdCamp was a big thing and I, yeah, I it's gone away, but uh, I remember we went to a fair number of them. Kyle, you ran EdCamp. Yeah, I used uh, to. Uh, I used to yeah. run
3: those and that, and that was, you know, part of the, I guess, the journey for us. One of the biggest pieces that we often, you know, cite is we were typical and I say typical like we were teaching the way we were taught for many years in our classroom and it was only when we started going to conferences and ed camps being some of those conferences we went to where we went oh my gosh this could be different and for us you know the first one that kind of blew my mind was Dan Meyer like those you know people who teach math may have heard of of Dan and his work and it's sort of like completely open this new door, this new, like, Mm -hmm. it was like hidden. It was like, oh my gosh, you could teach math without just explaining all the steps, you know, doing problems Uh with kids and then making them go do it on their own. Like there was like a different way to do this. It was like, oh my gosh, this is shocking. Like, why didn't anyone tell me this? And then all of a sudden we were just off to the races and just so curious and Um, wanting to make it different because we saw how it could be and how it could make you feel, right? Like, I don't think I ever felt anything other than, I guess, you know, bland doing math, but I was always labeled the kid that, could do it right. I could memorize the steps and the procedures. So I got high enough grades where I got to go on to post-secondary and do math there. And then I thought, why not teach? And I think that's the story for a lot of math teachers. And it just perpetuates this belief system in people in society that certain people can be good at math and other people can't and this it's not 50 50 either it's like it's like a lower percentage that are you know thinking Thinking that they're these special people when in reality it's like no you were just lucky like you were lucky that you had maybe the skill of memorizing or recognizing patterns quickly that sort of right. carried you through but it was many years later when we sort of recognized that holy smokes there's so much more to this math story and we actually didn't understand the math nearly as well as we thought we did and that is very humbling when your entire life you know you've you've sort of been labeled as this person that's quote unquote good at math
1: right I am. Do you guys teach? Is it secondary? Is that where you specialize?
3: Well, that's Uh, an interesting one because we we both (laughs) started there. And, Uh you know, I sort of I I would say probably I was the first one to kind of head down into the grades because I started coaching seven to ten. Uh, So, you know, I was teaching nine to 12 and then I started coaching seven to 10, which brought me down, you know, a peg and you start to learn and go, holy smokes, there's a lot going on down here too. And then I became a K to 12, uh, you know, consultant. And in that role. That's when I really, like it really opened the door to how little I understood about the math that I was trying to Mm -hmm. teach students, especially to those students in grade nine and 10 who were struggling with earlier concepts. And it was like, I, I don't know how to help them, you know? And so many high school math teachers, you know, feel and felt that way. And, you know, John, coming from high school as well, he's been on that journey now where he's going, oh my gosh, there's like so much more to what I thought was going on under the hood here.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I- yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna add like so so much. Uh, as a high school high school teacher, math degree, you know, I I I was the traditional high school teacher that you imagined in class. Uh, you know, like for for probably ten years of my career it, of trying to kind of i i was convinced i can i if i just talked louder and slower kids could be well, able to slower understand The part is
1: the good part right and, and
2: math better right like it was like that was me for a long time before you i started just rewrite to it
1: and keep pointing yeah <laughs> right this yes like
2: i don't know what you want me <laughs> to write here yeah. uh and like i i did that for a long time before realizing the switch but but yeah, like like diving, I've I've done a a ton of learning along the way to change not only my my instruction for the high school students that I teach, uh, but but it's it's so powerful to understand. How the elementary school, you know, elementary topics uh, that we normally take for granted coming into high school, how powerful those models, strategies actually stretch vertically Mm
0: -hmm. in that
2: we can use in our high school, high school classrooms. And I think they are so valuable for us high school teachers that a lot of high school teachers kind of just. Dismiss as like that's an elementary thing, and up here mm-hmm. we do, you know, our abstract math. We do our algorithms. We do our formulas. Like instead of, of, of trans, uh, yep. instead of capitalizing on on models and strategies that students right. can make use of and right. build upon, because we, we've to. been mm-hmm. we've been doing it, and it's actually like it's ac- from from the work actually we do with with districts and and talking with teachers on a regular basis. Um, through our podcast we coach teachers you know we we, we talk with teachers uh, outside of our district every day and it, it's it's you know sometimes you hear that especially middle school teachers will be hesitant to try new strategies because they think i don't want to do that because the high school teachers are saying you know we want this and so now it's like oh we're we're, we're pushing against each other here and the Mm -hmm. high school teachers are saying well i'm not going to do that because that's what you know that's what you do in you know middle school and elementary school but we need that alignment we need that that vertical shift to go up so that everybody knows the models everybody knows the strategies and we can build on them from grade to grade 100%
0: 100% totally yeah I know as a I was middle school ELA so I am more on the, the literacy side but I remember being a seventh grade ELA teacher and going to an elementary PD and learning about things like phonics and the bossy E and foul teams and being like if I had known this I would have been help, able to help my struggling readers so much better and so same thing on the math mm-hmm. side is that the the lower you can go and you can vertically and uh vertically align and then you can Scaffold up and down as needed. Absolutely. Yeah. And I just love the
1: passion that you can hear from both of you guys about math. And like, I think one of the misconceptions that's hard for teachers to get over is like, I was one of those people that I got, I did fine in math. I got good grades. Yeah, same. But like, tell algebra. I didn't like it. Like, it wasn't something I was like, ooh, that's math. Yep. You yeah. know, I was just like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yep.
0: Um, and it serves you until you get, for me, until I got to algebra and then had no meaning for anything I was absolutely. doing. Absolutely. None.
1: <laughs> right, but then I became, I was elementary, I taught third and fourth, and um, I had a really great instructional coach, which power to instructional coaches that know their content, mm-hmm. and he worked with me on like incorporating literature into math, which I was like, mm never thought of that duh like how obvious um and we did some work on remainders with manipulatives for kids and i just remember like geeking out with my students like oh my gosh this is what a remainder <laughs> is like <laughs> this is why it, is it. it created the concept for me in a way that i had never learned as a college graduate and so right. i, I right. think it's so powerful to help teachers find the joy in math because when it makes sense it's actually fun
0: As we get into summer, it seems like the to-do list for next year just grows and grows. How would you like to cross off one huge item on your list? And it'll only take you about five minutes. If you're thinking about how to use all of those late start, early release, or staff PD days for next year, we've got the solution for you. You've heard us talk about peer-driven PD. They seek out some of the best teachers in the country, document their tips and techniques that work in real classrooms every day, and provide this content directly to schools. What you may not know is that their professional development is 100% percent turnkey, which means it takes zero effort on your part. Seriously, you could probably sign up for Peer Driven PD and then take an extra week off this summer with your family. Doesn't a second vacation sound good? Here's how it works. Go to www.peerdrivenpd.com and request a quote. Mike and his team will provide you with a custom proposal based on your school size. And that's it. Once you're confident that it's the right fit for your school, Mike and his team just need your staff email list and they take care of the rest. Your staff are invited to log in whenever you'd like them to. That means planning your PD just became as easy as sending a simple email. Check out PeerDrivenPD.com.
3: You know, it's interesting because we try to, you know, uh, engagement's a word that gets thrown around a lot in, in education, but also specifically in mathematics. And, you know, it's really hard to engage people when you don't really understand the concepts really right, deeply, yes. right? It's, it's
1: all like in the air, it's all exactly. abstract, no You know,
3: when all you know is like, you know, you talk about remainders. So, you know, let's, let's just, you know, pick on division a little bit here. Like long division, right? Is yes. not a place, and yes. you had referenced that, you know, until algebra, everyone has like a moment in their math journey where they feel like they got off the bus. And for you, it was algebra. It sounds like, you know, for me, it was second year university for other kids. It's long division for some kids. It's multiplying you know there's all these different journeys or like stops we picture it like a bus route and it's like everybody starts on the bus and everyone feels great we can all count amazing and then (laughs) all of a sudden we go to math facts for addition and subtraction and then some kids get kicked off the bus you know we go down the road a little further you know kicked Mm -hmm. off the bus and when we talk about like division like think about long division and and just how horrible that idea is when you have to go to actually teach long division, if all I know is this algorithm, and I know it works, but I actually don't understand why it works necessarily. Right. And and I'm like, well, I guess I understand place value. But like, how do I make it meaningful for a, for a child? And John referenced, you know, models and strategies. And this is where those pieces come in. It's like, it actually right. engages you when you actually have these tools that help to make sense of these algorithms, right? Like these algorithms weren't yeah. just like created out of thin air, it was based on models and strategies. And then over time, the patterns that were recognized were turned right. into these algorithms. So, you know, yeah. we we tried to mm-hmm. leverage these ideas as if we can make math class about exploring, investigating, um, keep it, staying curious. So your your example with remainders yes. is fantastic because you're involved in the learning with the kids and students love that. Like they love it yes. when you're a part of that process and you're developing a community where we're all co-learners and you're kind of showing them that like you don't necessarily have all the answers all the time. And like, that's always happening when you, like, if you think about mathematicians in the real world, like they're working on problems they don't know how to solve. And in our classrooms, we kind of treat it the other way as if it's like, well, I know how to solve all these problems because I'm the math teacher. And it's like, no, we have to make it more about problem solving, more about uncovering, you know, the mysteries of how things work and patterns and behaviors. And these are all things that I missed for at least the first eight to 10 years of my career until I started going, holy smokes, I completely missed the mark.
1: Right. And sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm sorry, but sometimes it feels like we put things in place in schools that are actually counterintuitive to the way kids develop and like curiosity mm -hmm. and making sense of things and grouping and patterns that is literally naturally in their development. Mm -hmm. And so like sometimes we go opposite of that and it, it. it's just like, what were we doing?
2: Yeah. 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 And and just to even, even talk more about the building of content knowledge for, for our educators uh, as, as such an important aspect, because if we're going to do that with our students, we have to build that with, with, with educators. And, and, and if we think about it, like, like when we ask teachers to, and, and I think a lot of, this is, this is the work that we're doing with with school leaders uh, right now, and in, in helping them design their math programs, is that is that we a lot of a lot of school leaders, a lot of curriculum consultants like like Kyle in his position are asking teachers to change their pedagogical practice. They're going to say, "Look, look, we need this to look like this in our classrooms, not like this, like this this teaching and I do, we do, you do model of math class. Like we need this to pivot to more thinking in our classrooms. We want we want this." to happen. Like Kyle's talking about problem solving. Like we want to see that. But our, our, our district leaders in, 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 in our, in our, in our leadership groups are saying like, we want this. And they start to try to like show teachers different pedagogical strategies. But what happens is, is you're asking a teacher to stop the, I do, we do, you do model and be more flexible in the classroom they're saying hey you actually have to kind of like let students think first and then take what they're doing and then consolidate that at the end with the learning goal of 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 the day or the objective of the classroom today and when we do that you're you're saying hey as a teacher you have to step out of your comfort zone and be flexible and ready in the moment it's kind of like you have to you have to know that you're gonna have to like move here if the kid moves there and you have to move here if the kid moves there yep. and it in teachers resist right teachers will pull back and go like whoa 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 i i i feel uncomfortable trying that method and really what they're saying this is what we've discovered is they're really saying i feel uncomfortable because i'm uncomfortable with the mathematics yes i i don't know the mathematics well enough and they don't say this I think but my feet i
1: my to navigate exactly to Yep.
2: So it's like we're asking teachers to to change their pedagogical practice without, you know, building in systems and building in the work needed to build their own content knowledge. And that's that's the work that we, we were helping district leaders do with focusing their goals.
1: Yeah, that's one of the questions we kind of had, because especially in like a some types of certificates elementary for example you don't have to specialize in an area right and so then how do you balance um growing their own mathematician skills mm-hmm. while also like teachers want something they can take and go for give sure. me a unit let me do let me do so how do you kind of balance that push pull with professional development with the people you work
3: absolutely. with absolutely it is really a a challenge and it's a massive massive um hill that you know mountain that we need to overcome <laughs> because the reality is and and again we know this because we came from the secondary classroom from high school and you know my it's my belief that in order for me to be an effective let's say primary school teacher, K to two, K to three, uh, I need to really know the content from K to three, but also probably K to five. Cause I need to know where it's heading. I need to be a content mm-hmm. expert there. The problem is though, if I want to be like an expert or, or if I want to teach grade six to eight, if I want to teach middle school math, I need to know like pre K to eight. Like I can't yes. just know six, seven and eight, and then maybe nine. Like I need to know what's going on earlier, because I have to understand how that develops. I have to understand the big ideas. I have to understand the models and the strategies and where they're going. And then I also have to kind of know where they're headed. So imagine if you're a calculus teacher and you're teaching high school calculus, you got a lot of math content (laughs) knowledge that you really need to know and understand. And, you know, what John was referencing wasn't about like just knowing the algorithms, right? Like there's enough teachers that may not even feel comfortable with the algorithms and they're in their right. teaching. We're talking about like, when you want to be, and you have to be flexible in the moment, you have to be able to notice and name where students are at the different trajectory or the, yep. the different stages of the trajectory. You are in a really tough spot because you have a lot of teachers that are teaching multiple subject areas, right? You might be teaching ELA, you're teaching math, you're even doing the phys ed, you're like all of these right. different things. You're wearing all these hats and you haven't actually been given a fair a fair chance to be well positioned to teach at least mathematics. But I I, I I have no idea what I would do in an ELA class. You know, like if I, if right. I went into an ELA class, I would just be guessing. And like you had said, you, you use some examples of different phonics, you know, names and things. I'm like, those all sound fun. I have no idea what any of those are. (laughs) And, and that's a, it's a harsh and, and, and tough reality. Now it doesn't mean don't do anything about it. It's it's now we have to go. Okay. So what are we going to work on? Like, what can we impact? What can we influence? And I think it starts with looking at, hey, what are the logistical barriers that are going on that we might be able to actually affect? So one thing that we always chat about is, hey, is there a possibility that we can start changing our HR practices so that maybe maybe math is a subject-specific teachable where we're going to get teachers that are focused on only mathematics so it's a rotary subject of some type right some districts are like we can't make that happen we're like maybe we put it on the back burner it's something that we try to explore because imagine if I have to PD you know 100 teachers now I might only have to PD 20 right so it's like instead of spending 100 you know uh, PD on 100 teachers over X number of years. Imagine if I could like cut that down by a fifth or cut it down by four fifths because I'm down to a fifth of the size of the teachers. So the real goal here is like, okay, let's make sure that we're clear on what our goals are, our objectives. Like, what do we need to do? And what are the low hanging fruits? Out, we can kind of mm-hmm. reach for. So that's what we do through our needs analysis when we're working with district leaders is, you know, we sort of try to get a sense of like, what have you done so far? What's worked well? And then like, what have you tried to do that hasn't worked well? And then we try to find a healthy balance between those things. And we try to get a focus so that we can gain some momentum because what often happens is there's so many goals out there There's, you know, we call it a priority, but it's like a massive list of priorities that are all distractions. And we try to hone in on, hey, where can we get the most momentum, the most bang for our buck now in order to gain that momentum so that we can continue heading in the direction that you're trying to get to, which is this effective mathematics programming.
0: I would be interested. Um, I've done some consulting as well. And um, while obviously every single school is unique, there's also a lot of trends I've noticed, and I've done more on the literacy side. And so what I'm curious is that in the schools that you've worked with, when you're talking about where you can start and get the biggest bang for your buck, if I'm a principal listening to this podcast, you know we have different all have different budgets but most principals don't have huge budgets that they're working with mm-hmm. what could i do to get the biggest bang for my buck in my math's apartment whether i'm at secondary or with my general you know k through 5 teachers where do you feel like that biggest bang for a principal is uh
2: great great question i think i think it actually hits it's hits to the heart of the work that we do in and and kyle kind of touched on a little bit just a moment ago but i think what a principal or any school leader in charge of mathematics programming should do is think and we, we call this like step one is like think of the magic wand wish list we call that kind of like imagine that five years from now you walk into a classroom and you're seeing exactly what you want your math class to look like it's like it's the dream math class this is like what do we want our rooms to look like what do we want our students to experience what do we want them to say what do we want them to feel about mathematics so we have to get that picture so that picture helps with setting your objectives for the year or multi-year so so in in a sense the best thing a principal can do or a leader can do who's in charge of their programming is develop what we call objectives and then key results and it helps it helps create a plan but not only do we create these objectives which we usually say create three objectives because if you create more and in, in, I'm sure you know this. Being leaders, it's like if you think you're focusing on everything, you're focusing on nothing. Mm-hmm. We have to be very specific. So be specific with what what you want to focus on for the year, or maybe it's two years, and then and then say that this this is what we value here this year and next year, this, like, this is what math is. That's gonna be our objective. So it's like one, two, three objectives. We're gonna focus everything we do this year, next year on this to change this and to change these, these three things. And those three things, everything we do in professional development, everything we're gonna do in our class and everything we're gonna do in our staff meetings that pertain yep. to mathematics is gonna be in service mm-hmm. of these That's objectives these for the objectives. year and a lot of a lot of districts when when they first sign on with us and, and we partner with them they don't have objectives because what happens is a, l- a lot of times our leaders are are you know they they got a lot of hats to wear there's a lot of like ju- things happening and there's a lot of a lot of you said trends right there's a lot of things that we're like I want that and I want that and I want that and I want that that looks great that looks great and there's so much that it's like I, we're grabbing like these pieces of spaghetti right and we're throwing them at the wall and we're seeing what sticks and so wh- where where we kind of fall is we didn't create any objectives. So it's like when I grab this piece of spaghetti, should like does this spaghetti actually help me make the meal? Like I don't I don't even know because like I don't even know what I'm looking for. I'm just grabbing things and hoping mm-hmm. at the end of the year that my student results go up, right? Yep. Like we don't we don't have that. But when we set our objectives and then when we decide our objectives, we set key results. These these are measurable Uh, results that we have influence on throughout the year to work towards the objectives. If we can set those and those come up from like at the end of the year, I want to be able to say blank. Like I want this result, you know, a result. It's like it got a number attached to it. And it's not necessarily tied to the standardized test results that come out from the students. Because if I want to change teacher practice, then I should measure teacher practice in some form. And yes. so that's a key result. So if I want to change, like if I want to say like I want students to be more engaged in productive struggle in the classroom, yep. then I should think about how do I measure productive what struggle it like? what and it how do I see like? that? Like exactly. So, so I, now we have to like educate everybody across the whole community all key stakeholders have to know what the objectives are so that we know what we're all looking for and then we'll know what we can hit them so at the end of the year we get closer to the goals because we can check them off we did this we did this we did this we can say that we can say that with confidence we have these results and if we don't hit them we make new adjustments for the next year but i but in our the work that we do that's what we help we help districts we help schools create those Mm -hmm. objectives like what's the best thing to work on this year like what should we we be looking at like what is going to make the biggest dent and then we help shape those those key results and then we help kind of carry out the rest of the program so that's the biggest thing a, a leader can do is is design what that kind of overarching uh objective list looks like
1: Yeah, I think that's a brilliant point. I know I made that mistake as a principal myself. When I was wanting to see adult action changed, I would always just look at that that lag measure of student performance and not the – actual thing i was trying to improve um and then if i wasn't getting the results i wanted i assumed what they were doing wasn't working when i wasn't really looking at what they were doing to see if they were doing it effectively
3: right
1: so i think that's a really good point yeah
3: for sure for sure and ultimately like you know kind of going all the way back to answer your question very directly what i'll do is answer answer it in the opposite you had said like (laughs) what could they do to maximize and i'll tell you what they could do to like essentially waste you know, their resources is, you know, just trying to put whatever into motion. And it's all in good, like they're they're doing it out of the goodness yes. of their heart, right? Like yes. what we see is like, you know, we'll put in, let's implement a new curriculum. Okay. So we're going to, we're going to buy this curriculum and, and that's going to fix it. Okay, nothing changed. Uh, We're going to bring in these speakers over here and we're going to, you know, spend a lot of money on on different PD, you know, facilitators. intervention. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, now we're going to do that. And we're just, again, it's like that spaghetti that John's talking about. That's what people are doing. And ultimately, that's where we're going, okay, well, where should they spend their money? Well, we don't know until we do exactly what John has articulated, right? Like you need to do that work to figure out what is the next best step because every district we work with, we hear a lot of the same challenges, but the reality is the work they've done to that point is all very unique and all very different, which means the plan that we're doing with one district is going to look completely different than the work we're gonna do over here with this district or this school. And sometimes that's hard for people to realize. They go like, tell us like, what's it gonna, like, what are we gonna do? if if you you know if we work with you guys what are we going to do and we're we're sort of like well it could be this but it could also be that right so we're giving examples of what that might mean and it really comes down to us differentiating for what th- those leaders need in that moment because the mm-hmm. students are working with are different the teachers are working with are different and the leadership team is different. Everyone is different. It's individual. So it's just like what we want in our classroom where we want to be culturally responsive. We want to, you know, meet students where they are. The same is true when we're trying to do this work as a leader in the system.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. One of the questions I kind of have to piggyback on that. We have a lot of principals that reach out because they maybe don't have a lot of autonomy mm-hmm. um, at the building level. Um, so what would you say to a principal that can't really control the pacing, Um, the curriculum, the resources, even sometimes the assessments that are given and the benchmarks of when Mm -hmm. they're given. What is the advice if you're just working with a principal that that would be a good place for them to look or some things to go ahead and start to improve their math?
2: I would I would say actually we have a, 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 a I guess I'll give two two things um, that they can they can start with one one start is to think about that value like what do we want to value so after we create those objectives and say key mm-hmm. results it's it's you're really saying these are the things I value in in, in my in my school or in my, my math program well, I think what needs to happen though for it to trickle down is is is, is I guess actually that it has to trickle to everybody so. it... All the teachers have to feel that that's a value, and and a lot of times we say this is what we value, like this is our vision, this is our objectives, but but our actions don't actually prove it. And what I what I mean by that is is a teacher is not going to change their, their 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 that pedagogical moves or their pedagogical strategy or change what's happening in the classroom because of a lot of the things you just said. It's like I got this, we got to do this, we got to do this and really the teacher's feeling like i've i've I, you know i got my my report cards to, to mark i got to mark this thing yep. i got to get this mark yep. in here um i have to make sure i cover all of the standards and i got parents who are going to call me so so you know if i start changing things it's quite, teachers start to go will i cover all the curriculum yeah yes is a parent going to call me still like what happens right. if a parent calls me the the teacher if, if true change is going to happen our our leaders have to show those teachers that they truly support the things they said they value. Yes. So yeah. so when when we say hey we want you to try this new pedagogical strategy this year, but we still want you to make sure you cover all the curriculum. And, and if a parent calls you, uh, you better have a good answer. Instead yes. of saying like hey you know what we know that since you're trying new things it's you it might you might not hit every single standard this year. You right. know, like we, we're okay with that because we value these things right now, right. and eventually we'll come back and make sure that how we embed these these standards or what standards are the most important. Like there's a lot of work to be done there, but if a teacher is truly going to change, it's it's got to be like that support has to be felt across the whole school mm-hmm. and so that's i think st- like one of the things i want to say is like that has to happen for sure to start but the other thing how they can get started is actually we we developed uh uh, uh a, a, basically a, a a seven minute assessment that any edu- any educator or leader so principals administrators mm-hmm. superintendents yep. can take and it's a customized assessment that basically Uh, We look at six areas of your math program and where to strengthen them. So after the seven minutes of answering some questions about your existing math program, uh, we'll send you uh, a customized report that gives you action items on which of the six areas that we believe is essential to running an effective math program. We'll say which of the six "Eh, you should really focus here first and then uh, action items to fix that. And also uh, it'll give you the other five and action items to fix the other five wow. or, or strengthen the other five. So th- that 12 minute assessment uh, is a really great starter yes. for for, for, edu- uh, for leaders to kind of go, this is where I should focus my time.
0: That's a that's helpful amazing. tool and so it's free on your website. So makemathmoments.com <laughs> yes. and they can find the assessment right there. Yep. So if you um, go
2: to, yeah, makemathmoments.com forward slash grow uh, that uh, that will get you right to the assessment awesome. and uh, we'll, the, that you'll get that report right away.
1: We'll put, put that in our show notes. Yeah,
2: awesome. awesome. Excellent,
1: love that. So one of the other things that uh, we talk a lot about on our pod is how to be instructional leaders is all about giving feedback, being in the classrooms, really understanding what's happening. So let's, you have a teacher that's trying some inquiry-based, really trying problem solving. What's an area you can really focus on as the principal What's an area that you could really focus on giving feedback? That's a, that's such a big thing. Like you're switching your approach and we don't want you to feel like you're not doing a great job with it. What's some areas, some first steps that we can really hone in our feedback?
3: Well, I, I guess the the real question becomes is like, is the teacher doing that because the, you know, the leader actually is trying to promote those strategies? So kind of comes back to what John was saying. If, if I want more problem-based learning happening in my classroom now... Keep in mind too, some people might be listening to this and say, oh you know, they said problem-based learning. That doesn't mean there's never a time for for educators to explicitly instruct. We believe that's right. in the consolidation phase of the lesson. So after they've had an opportunity to solve a perp- you know a problem that matters, uh, it's a problematic scenario. After that happens, we do need to explicitly ensure that all students heard what we need of, needed them to hear or understand. And so yep. that's happening in this work. If I'm the administrator and I'm trying to promote that in my building, well, then that means that I need to do some work in order to be able to notice a name when it's happening, what it, what it could look like, what it should look like, yep. and... I need to be able to, you know, be able to provide a little bit of that feedback. And if I can't, then I, it's okay if you can't as an administrator, you might be like, I'm, I'm actually, I don't know what that actually looks like. That's fine. State that to your colleagues, but you have to be committed to do the learning with them. So your feedback could be, it doesn't, something does not not work in here. I don't know what it is though, but maybe together we can work through this, this right?
0: I think that's something that I as an administrator, you know, sometimes we would have um generic things we were looking for across all contents and grades like critical thinking. And I think it's really important for administrators to realize when they're a little bit out of their element. Like I had to sit down and with my music teacher and say Educate me a little bit more about what critical thinking looks like in a music classroom, right? What what have you been trained? What do you do? And I think, too, as an administrator, it's very unlikely, unless you were a math teacher um, or you taught every single grade, that you will know exactly what problem-based learning, for example, might look like in a kindergarten classroom, in a calculus classroom, in seventh grade math, um, and really being open to those conversations. For sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, And keep in mind, too, that... For most of us, I'm going to say the vast majority of us, at least here in North America, most of us didn't learn through that model. So our experience was very different. Mm -hmm. So it's okay. Like I know, you know, I think for a lot of people, they feel like they need to know everything, but ultimately, it's like no, no, like it's not our fault that we were taught in a very different way. And it shouldn't be a shocker that that's why so many people teach in that way that that's what they know as, as uh, you know, their experience. So there is this, you know, we're in this time where I think people are recognizing that, yes, it needs to be different, but we're still sort of in this kind of, you know, no man's land trying to figure out like, so I know it needs to be different. I know I don't want it to be this. I want it to be this other thing, but I'm not exactly sure how to put all those pieces Mm. together. And the reality is, is what we're finding with the, the districts that we partner with and the schools we partner with is that, you know, what they're starting to recognize is that, you know what is like, I've been put in this role as an instructional coach or as a, an administrator, a principal or a superintendent and I'm supposed to figure out what we need to do to like right the ship, but I'm not prepared to do that. Like I actually don't have the experience in order to be able to do that work. And that's where they're starting to go, you know what? Maybe, maybe I could use some mentorship And in our case, some people are asking us to help them with that mentorship, just like we're trying to provide for our educators, right? We have instructional coaches that are there to help mentor teachers. And yet all of our leaders out there are sort of like out there bearing (laughs) this massive load on their shoulders, doing all of these things without the support that they actually really need and deserve in order to do the job well.
1: I could not agree. I could not agree more. Yeah. Yeah. This pod is brought to you by Just Right Reader. Has your school or district moved to teaching the science of reading? Are you revisiting phonics skills with those beginning readers? Then you'll need decodable text just right reader offers decodable texts that are as unique as the students you serve the protected texts focus on singular phonics skills to give emerging readers the chance to practice in authentic text they even have take-home kits for families that help parents assist their child in learning with qr codes just visit justrightreader.com and tell them the modern principal sent you so as we wind down a little bit, I was looking and we've been perusing your pods and you've had some really amazing guests hmm. and um, some people that I like fangirled out on a little Ooh. bit. So Ooh. Tell,
2: tell me, me a name. Tell me a name. <laughs> I
1: mean,
2: it Joe wasn't Buller you, John. Of my oh, yeah. <laughs> it was it Joe was Bowler. Yes. Joe yes. Bowler was great to chat with. Awesome.
1: <laughs> I mean, and John Hattie, come on.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. John
3: was a great one. Uh, Joe Bowler was awesome. We've had... Uh, you may, if you're not a math uh, educator, this person may not jump out at you. But if you are a math educator, th- he will, and that's James Tanton has been on. I think okay. it's three oh. times, and he is a blast to listen to. If you want somebody yeah. to inspire, yeah. you can't,
2: you can't not listen Absolutely. and smile at the same yeah. time.
1: Oh, that's awesome! As non-math educators, we will listen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Awesome. So who like who sparked your initial love of math? Do you ooh. have a memory or a person that you remember ooh, being like, "Oh, that's it.
3: Kyle, your what's your moment. math moment? Yeah, we ask everyone on our podcast about the math moment that they remember. Um, to spark me, I would say I don't think I was actually like, this is sad to say. Mm. But like, mathematically well i had some great there were some great teachers so i, I do want to say that but i think and i've i've mentioned this on our podcast before some of the teachers like for example i had uh mr Loback was a great amazing teacher um mr LeBute was another uh teacher that were, was amazing for me but here's the crazy part though is that you know it was more like them as people that mm-hmm. i really appreciated oh, yeah. and they 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 made like math, like fun, enjoyable, all of those things. But they were still like largely more traditional in terms of like the way the content Mm -hmm. was delivered. Um, Uh But like they were just great people. I don't think I was inspired about math itself, like the actual doing of math until uh, I went to some of those conferences. And like I said, for me, it it was Dan Meyer that so like just completely flipped my mind around about like, wow, like this, this could be something really awesome. How about you, John? Like what was, uh, what was your yeah, moment?
2: That, that's, that's true in the same way uh, in the, in the sense of, you know, thinking about teaching mathematics. I don't think I was ever sparked to be, you know, like I, I got to change my classroom uh, before similar Kyle that uh, of realizing that I was not serving the students that needed me the most hmm. And I was teaching to students who are like me. And I think because yep. mm-hmm. because of that oh. reason, I was, you know, this is where math needed the most help is that we're underserving all the students who have generally hated math and been told that they're bad at math. And we're, we're teaching to, you know, kids who've got through the system instead of actually helping the students who aren't getting through the system to, to know and love math. So I, I kind of pivoted that way. And I think it was the students themselves that kind of sparked me to go, like, I, I have to change something mm-hmm. about what I'm doing, because I'm the direct influence here for these students to enjoy mathematics. And and so so I, I guess I credit all of the students that I feel like I failed all these years, <laughs> you know, all those years to say, like, I wish I could go back in time and say, you know what? Hey, Mister Orr, you have to change way back because I I spent years, you know, teaching yeah. the way that I was taught and right. not serving those students. So it was a it was a wake up call for me to realize that I I needed to change. And so so my my spark came from from the students that I was I was underserving for years.
1: That's a really good way of putting it. The teacher guilt that we all have from when oh, we didn't know better and yeah. right. admin better. guilt, yeah, oh. right, right,
0: <laughs> yes. Right. Agreed. Um, well, we like to end our pods with, um, from the desk of the modern principal, And so we would love for you all to just share one little quip or quote or piece of inspiration um, to our listeners who are primarily principals or aspiring principals. And so what is your from the desk of?
3: Ooh, I love it. I'll, I'll go first here. And I would say like from the, the desk of the administrator or for the desks of administrators, I want you to, you know, Think of yourself as a co-learner with your educators. Mm. Uh, If you're intimidated by math, that's okay. You can tell them, you know, and and this is the same, really the same message I have for educators when they feel like they're not confident in teaching the math. It's the same thing. I want you to be open with your students, let them know, but, but the big if or the big, but is that you cannot use as an excuse to avoid What you want to use is you want that to be the reason that you go in there and you expose yourself and you say, like, we got to figure this out together. And it's like, as soon as you're able to do that, and I I vividly remember me doing this for my classes, when I started to tell kids that I don't know the answer to this problem, instead of faking it all the time, like it's like fake it till you make it, right? Right. Um, That was when I started seeing a shift in my classroom, in my teaching and the way I was able to facilitate and get students thinking. And the same yeah. is true for administrators. If you want to start shifting educators in your building, you show them that you're human and that you know what mm-hmm. you know, and you're working on this and you know, you're, you're, you've got a long way to go over there and you're going to like rally those troops and you will, you will make such great progress versus the other way trying to just sort of assume you know, or pretend like you, you've got it all figured out and then you know, they need to do the same.
2: And and I think mine builds off yours, Kyle's Kyle. And in I think what I would recommend is being you know being a high school teacher, being a teacher uh, with many different administrators is is you sh- is we should all read a book that Kyle and I have got a lot of value out of, uh, mm. which is called The Coaching mm. Habit. In um, in this. I, is about kind of staying more curious curious longer than instead of advice giving Ooh, I and love that. and I'm not yep. saying that t- teach administrators are there to to give advice, but i I think what we want our administrators to be for us teachers is the coach is is someone to kind of like coach alongside us mm-hmm. um and the coaching habit is not a teacher book it's it's just a coaching in mm-hmm. general book, and what we learn from that is to listen to to our to the people that we're working with, the people that we're interacting with, mm-hmm. to to kind of get to the root of like what's really driving this behavior, what's really driving this uh, this scenario, and by asking questions to get yep. deeper and deeper and deeper, and then just just be a good listener. And I think that's what I think I've learned the most out of that book. Um, and then really when, when we have talks down with people, when we ask questions to keep being curious about this scenario or these people. Uh, you know these these issues tend to kind of fall away, or it gets answered by them by themselves. So I would say go and read the Coaching Habit. It is a quick read, and uh, you'll thank us. Uh, you'll thank us later. Love it.
0: Thank Love you. Love it. And it looks like if our listeners are interested in any of the the assessment that we talked about, you also have a um, Make Math Moments Academy District Improvement Planning. Is that true? You have a six to twelve week courses and things that you offer mm-hmm. on your
3: website yes yep. too too many different things out there if there's anything in particular that uh you know you're you're seeking uh you they can chat with us in our little chat bubble on the website um but i, I think ahead. the best place to start for administrators yep. if if you've been intrigued by this conversation head over to the podcast you're listening to one right now head over find us uh, make math moments or just search math moments Uh, And you'll be able to subscribe to that. You'll get, yeah, every, uh, every week, uh, you've got over 200 episodes to catch up on. So got a little bit of work, (laughs) but, uh, but you know, people do find it to be very helpful as, uh, you know, as they, they start, you know, wrapping their head around, how can I make a difference in my building, my organization around math education?
0: Awesome. We'll make sure that we um, link all of those in our show notes too. So thank awesome. you so much, John, Kyle. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Be sure to check out all of their resources online. Awesome. Thanks.
2: Everybody. Thanks for having a us. It's been
3: a pleasure.